0: This is a recording of a sermon from Light Church in San Diego, California. For more information, please visit lightsandiego.com.
1: Excited for tonight. Excited for this message. Man, I could have just worshipped all night long. I was tempted just to throw out the whole message. It's so amazing just to get to be in the presence of God with you guys. My name is Benji, by the way, if we haven't had a chance to meet. I'm glad that you're with us tonight. Uh, Welcome to Light Church. This is a brand new church. We're about three months old. And uh, it's amazing watching God form this beautiful thing and just get to kind of participate with him and see what he's doing. And so it's great to be with you guys tonight. Uh, For the next 30 minutes or so, we're going to be studying and looking into uh, the Bible. So if you have one, you can open one up. If you don't have a Bible... We'd love to give you one. We have one in the back for you, uh, looks something like this, because we believe that the Bible not only is fascinating, is not only something worthy of studying, but we believe it's life-changing. We believe that the words that were spoken thousands of years ago still are changing hearts in the world around us, and so it, it means a lot to us in this community. So every week, we, uh, we study the scriptures. We study what this book has to say, this collection of books, rather, um, And uh, tonight we are part two of a series of going through maybe the most famous sermon Jesus ever preached. It's often called the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, He's teaching from a hillside, which is kind of where it gets its name. Um, This is a collection of Jesus' most famous teachings that Matthew, one of his followers, compiles together and puts in his biography of Jesus' life. Um, This is maybe one of the most interesting uh, portions of literature ever. I mean, like, whether you read the Bible or not, these three chapters have changed history. Uh, Gandhi actually is modeled much of his life after these teachings. Um, entire denominations and religious sects have actually modeled their whole lifestyle after this. So this is powerful. This is this has changed culture and the world around us. And so we are humbly. Approaching this text because I have to confess, this is one of the most studied yet um, bewildering texts in the Bible. Um, and because the reason is we want to figure out what did Jesus mean? What, what did he mean when he's saying these things? So if you're just joining with us, um, Jesus is kind of on the scene. He's a new rabbi. There was not, he was not the only one, there's many rabbis at that time, but he seems to be the one drawing the most attention. He's brand new. So there's a lot of crowds coming to him, and so he's uh, he sees the crowds, and he decides to kind of slip away and goes up on this hillside, and he invites his followers, his twelve disciples, and maybe a few others, to come and sit with him, and he begins to have a really significant conversation. You see, at that time, like our time, there is a narrative that is happening where people are trying to talk about what does it mean to be human? What does it mean to be alive? Uh, How do humans flourish? But the interesting thing about what's happening right now is many of the Jews who were his audience believed that human flourishing happened when you obeyed the laws in the beginning books of the Bible called the Torah, And so they believed if you followed these 613 laws that you would have the blessed life, your life would flourish. And they were so adamant about that they they kind of became like spiritual police. So that's all going on. And then while that's happening, uh, the Roman Empire is in full swing. And they have completely conquered the world and have, in a certain sense, no morality And don't believe in in moral rules or engagement, but believe that you should submit to their rule as kind of the, the governing authority. And so you have these really conflicting narratives. And then Jesus shows up on the scene, and he begins to share something completely different. He begins to start, start talking about this is what it means to have a fulfilled life. This is what it means to have a flourishing life, and and I have to warn you, this is probably not what you think. It's not what I've thought. It's not even what I've preached when I was younger. As I, the more I study this, the more I realize this completely flips every paradigm, every idea you have in your mind on its head of what it means to be a flourishing humanity, what it means to be alive, what it means to reach its full potential. And the reason Jesus can say this is because he's the artist. We believe as followers of Jesus that he created humanity, not as an afterthought, but rather as the crescendo and the climax of all of his creation, and he created us for a purpose. He created us with a certain wiring and DNA to advance the flourishing that was supposed to be happening in the garden. And so we've obviously taken that and done amazing things and horrible things with it. But Jesus has this incredible dialogue called the Sermon on the Mount where he talks about this is what it means to be alive. But he starts it uh, really strange. Last week, if you, if you didn't uh, uh, listen to it, if you weren't here, you guys can listen to it on the podcast. I think it'll be coming out soon. But he starts it really in a shocking way. Because I don't know about you, but if I showed up and I wanted to give a speech on human flourishing and what it means to be alive and and how to live the most fulfilled life, I'd probably start right away just talking about what is robbing you of that life, what is sucking life from you, the, the, the pains, the weaknesses, the things that are going on. That's not how Jesus begins this sermon. It's what it is. He begins it with a series of blessings. Now, blessings were a big deal for a Jewish audience because blessings to them means God was on your side. So, we, last week we talked about this word, bakarios, this is celebration, blessings to you, God is with you. But as he blesses, he kind of introduces these, this list of people that you would have never imagined were blessed, right? The spiritual zeros, right? The people you'd never see in a synagogue or a church. The people you would think last would the kingdom of God be upon them. He talks about those who are mourning and deep in grief. And he says, blessed? He talks about people who are oppressed. He talks about people who are persecuted. And he, and he gives this, this list. And you can imagine as, as his followers, you're sitting on a hill listening to your rabbi say, you know who's blessed? That guy, this girl, this person, you're just like, Jesus, I don't get it. That's not who I'd say is blessed at all. As a matter of fact, I wouldn't want that life ever. But then he takes it a step further, and not only does he say, blessed are those people, but then he starts talking about, he changes the, the literary device from these people, those people, to you, talking about his disciples, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Really peculiar phrases. And And it's again, it's a strange way because in his company are not people who you would consider blessed, salt, or light. These are not the people that are like you know, game changers, they don't have a ton of followers on social media, they don't make six figures, they don't have nice cars, they've dropped out of Hebrew rabbi school. Like these are the people that you never thought would be the ones, Jesus is saying, the kingdom is yours. And that's exactly how he begins his sermon. Blessed are you, you are salt, you are light. But let's keep in mind the, the disciples up to this point have done nothing. They've done nothing. Now, this is huge because the way Jesus believes that humans flourish is not getting praised for what they do, but speaking over to them what they can be before they even believe it about themselves. I remember when Augustine was born, I have four children, Jen and I have four children, not just me. She does most of the work. Um, but we have three daughters, beautiful daughters, and we have a son about two years ago. His birthday's coming up, and I remember when he was born. They, they move us from the room where the delivery happened. They move us into the room we'll be for the next couple of days. The nurses are gone. It's the first moment of, like, quiet. And it's like this holy moment. All right, Jen's laying in the bed, recovering, and I pick up my son, my father firstborn son. Right? I've never held a son before. I've never looked at a male version of me and Jen, right? Looked kind of like an alien, but that's okay. It's not Jen's fault. <laughs> and I look at him, and at this moment, I'm overcome with this sense of, the only way I can describe it is like destiny. And I just start telling my son who he is. He said, son, you are courageous. So there are a lot of cowards in this world. You will be strong. You will lead people well. You will serve your entire life. You will make this world better. And I just started saying these things over him. And it wasn't like scripted. I didn't think I was going to do it. But I'm looking at this new human being and he is completely helpless, right? He literally can't even stick his hand in his mouth yet. Like he is, he can't do anything. But all I can say is, this is who you are. This is who you will be. And I have to remind myself of that moment when my son like hits me with a baseball bat while I'm sleeping. Or <laughs> when he throws pizza at me you know, during the dinner table. But anyways, there's this moment where in his absolute helpless state, I was overwhelmed with this sense of absolute destiny for his life. And I imagine that's what Jesus must have felt like as he looks at his disciples, absolutely helpless, right? Just like the most helpless group of people he could have ever assembled. And he's overwhelmed with destiny for them. And he says these words, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. I mean, guys, how, how overwhelming is that for someone like Peter or doubting Thomas? Right? Judas is scared. I mean, these are the people in the audience and they're like looking at each other like, you? You're the light of the world? Anyways, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Let your light shine before others. You can imagine this this group of people have never had those words spoken over them in their entire life. They've never had destiny spoken over them. You will change the world and they will. In a few short years, they will flip the Roman Empire on its head. But someone told them at first, you're blessed, you're the salt of the earth, you're the light of the world. And so this week, I, I, I opened up my books in my library, and I started studying, like, what, is it, what was Jesus trying to say when he said, you are salt and you are light? Um, and I have to confess, uh, this was maybe the biggest theological uh, like hermeneutical wrestling match I've ever had, uh, uh, specifically with the word salt. Um, and when he says, you are the salt of the earth, I start reading this scholar and this commentary, and I talk to this really intelligent pastor, and these, and, and, and I start realizing there are a lot of different interpretations of what Jesus meant when you were the salt of the earth. And so, I, can I be honest with you guys tonight? I don't know exactly what Jesus meant when he said, you are the salt of the earth. I'm going to give you what really smart people believe he's saying, and then I'll conclude with what I I would say I'm convinced of what he's trying to do. But I just want to say from the very beginning, um, I'm still wrestling with this, and I think that's okay. Maybe the disciples were too, Maybe they were trying to figure it without them. And I think that we don't always have to figure everything out that Jesus says, but if we can look at it honestly, I think we might be able to get to a few conclusions tonight. So here are the, the four main theories of what Jesus is saying when he says, you are the salt of the earth. Number one is kind of the most common and probably how you would read it is you are a flavoring and a pre- and preserving in nature, right? You have something in you that that adds flavor to the world, that you preserve the world. And I would say those things are true about followers of Jesus, right? Those those should be true of us. And that's probably how I've read it and understood it, and I've taught it for years. That's kind of, the again, kind of the surface-level understanding. Uh, Number two, rabbis in that day would often use salt as a word for wisdom. Uh, So Colossians even, even references it. Colossians 4, 6 says, Let your conversations be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know what to answer everyone. So here Paul uses it the same way. Like you, salt is a way to say wisdom. Therefore, if you lose your saltiness, you've lost your kingdom wisdom. Uh, The third interpretation of salt would be, Is it connection to previous uh, verses? So what does Jesus say right before this? Because there's no verses and chapters when Jesus is speaking, right? He just told them, you will be persecuted for my name's sake. And then right after it says, you are the salt of the earth. If you lose your saltiness, you are no good. You'll be thrown out and trampled underfoot. So one interpretation is talking about if you are salt, eventually the world's not going to like how you taste. You're going to be thrown out and persecuted. Is one interpretation, and I think it's a, it's, a, it's a fair one. It's a good one. And the fourth one is salt is often used in a reference hundreds of years ago back to the covenants that were made between Moses and God. Leviticus 2.13 says, You shall season all your grain offerings with salt. You shall not let the salt of the covenant With your God, be missing from your grain offerings. With all your offerings, you shall offer salt. And so some people say, well, he's referencing they're the new covenant community. They're the new people of God. You are the salt, right? You're the new offering that's being given to the world. And I'm studying all these really smart people. I'm just like, I don't, they all make sense, I think, at some level. I see where you're all coming from. The thing I think that was the most helpful for me in interpreting salt is how Jesus used it, because this is not the only time Jesus used the the idea of you are salt. So I just wanted to read you that there's three times in the Gospels where Jesus says you are the salts of the earth. So the first one we've already read, right? Matthew 5, 13 says you are the salt of the earth, but if you if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? Man, I'm saying salt a lot. It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. So he read that one, right? Sermon on the Mount. In Luke's gospel, chapter 14, he starts talking about, if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, you have to give up everything to follow me. Luke 14 verse 33 says, in the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. Whoever has ears, let him hear. So that's, that's another one. And then the last time is in Mark's gospel. And this is right after he's talking about sin. Like deal with the sin in your life Uh passionately, even violently. Like, get rid of sin in your life. And then he ends it by saying, salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can you make it salty again? Have salt amongst yourselves and be at peace with each other. So, a couple of things. If I were to just look at the way Jesus used salt, there's a few conclusions I have. One, he's always referencing his disciples. Uh, Two, is that this salt can be lost there's something about following jesus where you can lose your effectiveness and influence in the world every time he mentions salt it comes with a warning first in exhortation you're salt this is good salt is good you're the salt it can go away this isn't talking about salvation. This isn't talking about you know heaven or anything like that. It's just talking about your place in the world, your effectiveness in the world, your purpose in the world can be shelved, and we're we're left with this kind of this kind of dilemma where his he opens it up with this really bold statement and. and All of these would say it's a positive thing. Salt is not bad. It's a positive thing. You are the salt of the earth. It's deeply rooted in purpose and covenant and flavor and wisdom. You're this to the world, but it can be gone. You can lose it. So I wanted to share a story with you when a time where I felt salty. right? A time time where I felt like, okay, I'm, I'm supposed to be the salt of the world. And a time where I felt like I really blew it. So my wife and I are in a band and, and called Serenade and Strum, and we play at farmer's markets and bars and concert venues, and, and mostly just not in churches. We just, we, it's our time just to get outside the church and just play music and have great conversations. And so we are playing a couple years ago at a farmer's market, and someone sends me an email like, hey, I heard you, your, your band. We love the sound. I work for a record label here in San Diego. I would love to pitch it to my executives to see if they're interested in your music, I'm like, great, this is awesome, you know, it's kind of like, you know, you don't want to shut that down. So he emails me back, and he's like, hey, great news, they loved your music. Um, uh, I'm, they said that go go ahead and show it to the president of our of our label to see if they would be interested in signing you guys, maybe license your music, and, and I'm like talking to Jen and our band, like, this is amazing. So he shows the music to the president of the label, and he comes back, and uh, and he calls me, and he's like, hey, Great news, he loves you. He loves you guys. We want to start talking about what it looks like. He's like, one thing, I notice you guys say Jesus in your music. Um, would you mind not doing that? And I was like, I'm like, um, maybe. And he's like, oh, so, and another thing, he's like, he's like, would you ever mind, like, cussing a little bit, you know, like, in your songs? He's like, and I'm just, uh, I'm like, F, yeah. Just kidding. <laughs> 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 I didn't say that. <laughs> podcast, believe that. <laughs> <Anyways>. <laughs> and I'm sitting there on the phone and I'm kind of in this weird space because I'm just like, we're not writing worship music. We don't have to talk about Jesus, I guess. And I'm like, I don't think we're going to cuss. I mean, maybe me, but I don't sing that much. Jen probably won't. She's pretty holy. Um, and I'm, I'm in this moment where I'm just kind of like, I don't know what to say, so I just kind of responded. I'm like, I'm like, hey, I, I'm like, I pre- I understand what you're saying, and I'm like, but I have to be honest, and I'm like, I don't know if we can write music that's not coming from a place of who we are. Um, and he's like, and he's like, and he's super great. He's like, totally get it. Not, not a problem. I just thought I would ask. And I'm like, great. He's like, yeah, I'll call you guys tomorrow with kind of you know stuff. Hangs up the phone. Never hear from him again. <laughs> Sweet, right? And the whole time, I'm like, man, I blew it. I should have just gone with it, right? Like, I should have just been like, yeah, whatever you need, record label guy. Like, because then maybe we'd have had a bigger influence and da-da-da-da. And I'm just, I've always kind of beat myself up over it. I'm like, did I blow it in that moment? And a couple months back, I got a text from this guy. His name is Joe Clark. he says, hey, Benji, this is Joe. Um... He's like, I want to I wanna let you know. It's like, I don't know if you remember me, but I used to work for this label. He's like, I just wanted to reach out to you and let you know I've started to follow Jesus. And he's like, he's like, a couple years back, he's like, I remember asking you guys about your music. And he's like, you, um, you and your wife were so gracious, but you had conviction. And he's like, and it really messed with my head. And he's like, so I really started searching what would cause someone to turn down such a great opportunity. And he's like, I just wanted to let you know, thank you. And I'm like bawling as I'm reading this. I'm like, oh my gosh, in this moment, I had no idea. Jen I had no idea that we were being salt in the world. But we had a moment where we could have lost it, right? And and, I don't, and again, this has nothing to do, like you know, you are Christian or not. It's nothing to do with that. But it has this moment where, kind of fumbling over my words, I just kind of said, "I'm like, this is. I don't know if I can do anything other than this. This is just who I am now." And it changed someone's life. And I think every one of us has those opportunities, um, and we might not always know the outcome. But that business deal at work that you know could lack integrity but you choose to do what's right? That moment in your relationship when you would rather tell a white lie but you choose to say what's true even though it's going to hurt? At the moment when you're at school and you have an opportunity to cheat and you choose just to take the lower grade? I mean, these are moments of salt. These are moments where you say, the world would tell me to do it this way, but I'm going to flavor it a little bit differently because I follow Jesus. We have no idea the impact that we're making because of that. He, After he talks about, you are the salt of the earth, he then moves on and says, you are the light of the world. Now this, again, it's such a staggering statement because throughout all of Scripture, the term light is reserved for God. For Jesus, Jesus is the light of the world. Matter of fact, John 8, 12 says, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but here it is, but will have the light of life. And so there's something that happens when you start sitting on the hill next to Jesus, where the real true light of the world begins to start affecting and infecting your heart with light itself. And all of a sudden, whether you know it or not, you are now a part of being this light to the world. This is absolutely profound. And I love how it begins because it gives us two images. The first image is a city on a hill, and the second is a lamp that's hidden or could be hidden under a bushel, which would have been a a basket to gather grain if you ever wonder the song, hide it under a bushel. What's a bushel, right? It's, that's what it is. It's a basket to gather grain. So you never take a lamp and put it underneath a basket, right? So these are the two images that Jesus gives. But I think the order he gives is really significant. He doesn't begin with a lamp; it begins with a city. And moreover when he says, you are the light of the world, the word you he uses is not singular, it's plural. You collectively are a city on the hill. You are, a light, you are collectively the light of the world. And so oftentimes as Americans, I don't know if you've ever read that verse, so I'm like, I, I am the light of the world, Benji is. That's not what Jesus is saying. You... My followers, my people, God's people, you are the light of the world. You are a city. You're a city. You are a collective light together that you cannot hide. Now, this collective light is an absolute attack to one of our culture's greatest idols, which I believe is the idol of autonomy, the idol of individualism. You see, the reason why we all read that, I am the light of the world as an individual, is because that is the narrative we have been told by our culture. I'm a light. But I love that Jesus begins, it. no, 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 you are a city of lights. Collectively, your lights together make a city on a hill. I remember sitting with um, one of my friends this week who goes to Light Church, really successful business guy in the fashion industry, and he's just talking about this idea of autonomy. He's like, in San Diego, especially in Encinitas, people worship autonomy. They, wanna, they want to have business the way they want to do it, right? They want to make enough money to not to be isolated. Uh, they look at us when, when, Jen and I have four kids, they're like, that's a lot of kids. Like, we're shocked. Like, we didn't know. <laughs> we're aware, okay? I'm up at three in the morning with, you know, feet in my face. The okay, guy understands a lot, but... It's such a shock to our world because that's, that's, that's a sure way to not be autonomous, right? Like, have a kid, maybe, or two, but wait till you're 40. You know, I'm not saying this is bad, but this is the world we live in. Because if you do anything, what it's, going to do, it's going to actually remove options from you. But this idea of autonomy has actually seeped into our spirituality as well, right? How many people I've talked to says, Oh, I'm a Christian, I just don't go to church anymore. It doesn't shock me at all because there's people in church. (laughs) Right? That's why they don't go to church. They don't go to church because there's people there. They're like, wait a minute, if I go to church, I'm going to rub against people who are just as wounded and and, and broken as I am. And they're going to remind me of my own woundedness and brokenness. And all of a sudden, I would just rather be by myself. Spiritually, fiscally, relationally, it's just easier. And Jesus comes with the Sermon on the Mount and says, you were not designed to do it alone. You are a light to the world. Light Church, this is why we gather every Sunday. This is why we have open tables. This is why we have Lectio groups. This is why we get together all the time because we believe it's not the easiest thing, but it is what will make us flourish. When we gather ourselves together and choose together to be a light to the world around us. But there's also a mistake that comes with that, right? We're so afraid that if I come and I start living next to these other lights and start living this, what's going to happen? What if I hurt people? What if they hurt me? I love what Brendan Manning says in his book, Abba's Child. He says this, In a futile attempt to erase our past, we deprive the community of our healing gift. If we conceal our wounds out of fear and shame, Our inner darkness can neither be illuminated nor become a light for others. I love how how he put that. There's something beautiful that happens when you bring your brokenness here. There's something significant that happens when you bring your shame here because it's in this space. Not only can light touch that darkness, but then you become a light for others. You become a place of healing for other people. Right? No perfect people here, guys. Every single one of us is bringing stuff to the table. And in that, there is another extreme where you hide yourself in a community, but you yourself are no longer shining. This is when you are the lamp underneath the bushel. And some of you guys, this is your struggle, right? Maybe you're not struggling with autonomy. Maybe you're struggling with conformity. Maybe you're like, I can't be myself. I can't be who God designed me to be. I cannot fully live into the gifts and call that God has given me because what are people going to think of me? And the fear and the insecurity that comes along with that chokes you out and you just decide to live underneath the bushel, right? You live underneath this place of the fullness of you will never be seen because of your own fear and insecurity. My friends, you are not only robbing yourself, but you're robbing all of us. What would happen to a city on the hill if every one of those lamps started to put a covering over it? All of a sudden, there is no more city on a hill. We desperately need your unique destiny, calling, wiring God has given you to be able to be the greatest city on the hill we can be. Not we, and please hear me, this is not about Light Church. Light Church. This is about the kingdom of God. Wherever you go to church, we need as followers of Jesus to be able to identify this is what it looks like for me to shine my light to the world because it doesn't look for you the way it does for me. It's uniquely yours. But as much as it's unique, it also is a part of something greater and communal. And this is the difference of our world. Jen and, uh, and Lindsay were at um, this conference out um, in Palm Springs yesterday, they drove out there, and I forgot to tell them that the car they drove doesn't have air conditioning. <laughs> it's like 107. It's funny for me. Uh, so they had a heat stroke. It's okay. Uh, but they're, they're out there, and it's this, uh, it's this creative kind of pop-up conference that happened where they're all out there, and they're saying this exact message, right? You need to be the light. You need to go and shine who you are uniquely gifting. But this is what's unique about what Jesus is saying compared to what every other millennial creative conference is saying. Is that It says that these good works, by the way, the Greek word good also means beautiful. The beautiful things you do will bring glory to God. And this is the big difference. This is not a message for you to say, be the best you, you're awesome, shine bright. No, no, no. You are a light, but that light, those good works, those beautiful deeds you will do have the potential to draw people's attention away from yourself and to your creator. That's where destiny happens. That's where significance and meaning happen. I wanted to to share a really cool story with you guys um, as we get ready to. To close, I'm going to invite um, Taylor to come up here. I wanted Taylor to kind of share her story with you guys. Here you go. Can you guys say hi to Taylor? Hi. Hey. So Taylor, can you give us uh, before you started coming to light? Just kind of update us. What was what was your life like? What was it uh, kind of leading up to that moment? So
0: I moved to San Diego. Mm.
1: Put your mic a little oh. bit closed. There you go. Awesome. Yep, it's perfect. I
0: moved to San Diego a little under two years ago. Um, I would say when I moved, I was also sort of in a, what I would call a self-burdened spiritual disconnect would be the season that I was in. Um, I, at the time, was dating somebody where I don't think the relationship was super spiritually focused. I was kind of questioning a lot of, decisions who I was what I was doing if I was on the right path and um, throughout this time I, I've been a follower of Jesus for about seven years and uh, you know prayed through the whole thing was really kind of asking God questions of you know am I on the right path am I going the right way can you please show me what the right way is and uh, so I would say that that's yeah. what, I was at.
1: Okay, well, what happened with that kind of relationship and uh, how did that play so, into this.
0: So the relationship ended. Um, as it ended, I think I started sort of searching for, I should back up, so throughout these two years, I also was searching for a place to call home with God. Uh was kind of going all over, trying to figure out a home church, try to a ton of different places down south in San Diego. When I was living down there, um, really was having a difficult time connecting to any community, even tried to go up to San Clemente, uh, see if there were any churches up there at the time. Then I moved here to North County, still the whole time sort of asking God to to give me some direction. And um, with that, I ended up, I would say in December, Um, sort of having this moment when I was sitting, I I write my prayers, so sitting with my journal and kind of close my eyes and I remember um, there was this moment where I just saw the word light. and and To me, that was basically God saying just to look for it. I didn't know what it meant. I didn't know how. I didn't know where. I didn't know when. um, But but was kind of just given the sign to just look for it.
1: And um, tell, tell us about the slot machine. <laughs> so, um, that was totally it.
0: So I, uh, I, I, so I'm given this kind of what I would call a, a moment with me and God, trying to tell me just to look for something. And uh, as the weeks pass, nothing, nothing really happens. I. Uh, I, I'm still kind of just sitting, waiting, seeing what's happening. And um, there, I went on vacation, went to a casino, and, and actually won some money on a slot machine. And on the slot machine, there were sons. so
1: I was like, "Oh, okay, this is it." This is, this is the Nailed it. Yeah. This, this, so this is good. It
0: but it was not. Yeah,
1: And t- tell <laughs> us about the night that um, so, you came here. So, uh,
0: middle of January, I went up to an art show in LA and What started driving home pretty late in the afternoon, got back around uh, like 6 p.m. So I, I actually live right around the corner. I live on G Street, which I forgot to say this to so the first uh, service, but I, I moved there in December kind of the same time that I got this, this sign. Um so I remember parking my car on the street right here. I was on the right side of the street, parked my car, and as I got out of my car, I noticed that there was a sign right next to, to my car. And as I start walking to see what the sign is, I, I hear—I'm actually hearing the music, like in 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 the background somewhere, just like muddled music. And I look at the sign, and it's one of the A signs that just says light. And I was like floored immediately. And I'm late. It's like 6:15. So um, in it, it says the service times for, you know, like church service times, 4 p.m., 6 p.m., and I was actually supposed to go to dinner with some friends, and I texted them, and I was like, I'm going to, I'll see you guys later. I, I got to go to church. So walked in, um, and it was packed. There, I couldn't see an open seat, so stood there for a second, and somebody who was serving, I think, Clearly saw that I had no idea where to go, so um, they led me to an open seat, kind of in the back corner over there. And immediately, I, I got this feeling of just, oh my gosh, this this is like this feels like home. I, I would imagine for people who own homes, when you know, you know, right. It was kind of that same thing. Um, so I I uh, I stood there for a second. And I was listening to this worship music and, again, just kind of was taking it all in, and and there was a moment where Benji actually walked up on stage, and he he paused, or I think it was in between two songs, and, and he came up on stage, and he proceeded to talk about the story of the woman pushing through the crowds when, or to go see Jesus. And he said that he felt compelled that there was, someone in the room who he could see pushing through the crowds and that they needed to know that um, any burdens or chains or any hardships that they were feeling were broken and that they were home. And I lost it. I just (laughs) completely lost it. Um, it It was one of the most powerful things that's ever happened to me. And Uh, I remember Benji walked off stage and he kind of was actually walking around and I was I don't even know if he knew what I said because I was just so emotional, but I like I he he comes to me, passes me and I'm like, I'm the girl, like I you totally it was me. Uh, and I showed him my arm and I actually have a tattoo that says light that I've had for a few years. So
1: Mm. amazing. Can we thank Taylor, you guys, for (laughs) amazing? She emailed me that next week and told me that story, and the reason I wanted to tell that story tonight is when when Jen and I and our team planted this church, we didn't know what it was going to be. We we still, on Sunday afternoons, look at each other like, do you think anyone's coming? <laughs> I don't know. Like, we just didn't know. All we knew is God said, do this, and we just said, okay. We felt the Lord told us to call it Light Church. We said, okay. And when we got that email, all of a sudden, I'm just like, wow. The Lord knew Taylor. Lord knew Taylor would live right here, would have a word about light, would see a sign. And this is what's amazing. This has nothing to do with me. It has nothing to do with the sermon. You see, a, a gal named Kara King made our brand that was on that sign. Someone probably in this room got here early and put that sign right there. And she walked into a room that was set up by people who served to do that, was listening to a worship leader from our friend's church down in San Diego singing a song, Break Every Chain, I remember the song. And this was not a person. This was a collective light. that God used to grab and to show her Jesus and has continued to impact her life, and she's impacting us. She serves here now, and Taylor's, you know, she's one of the MVPs around here. And it's amazing what happens when people just said, yes, I'm, I'm sure, like, the, the guy or the gal who set out the sign was not like, changing someone's life today. <laughs> <laughs> no big deal. You know, it's, sign set her out, evangelist. No, it's... it's There's so many moments where we're not like, I'm being the light of the world. You don't have to go stand up on top of a street corner and start preaching. No, no, no. How you live, your simple acts of love and servitude and kindness change the world. And when you combine that and multiply that with other people and we become a city on the hill, we become light together, the world around us will change. Would you guys pray with me? Lord, we just thank you so much for tonight. We thank you so much that you are the light of the world and you invite us into that same title. Lord, you invite us into that same identity and heritage. God, I pray that we would be the light of the world. I pray that we would be salt everywhere we go. Lord, I pray we would not lose that influence around us. God, I pray for those in this place that do not feel like light. They don't feel blessed. They don't feel like salt, Lord. They just feel absolutely looked over. Lord, I pray that tonight they would have a radical moment with you, or that your eyes would connect with theirs. Lord, I pray that you would help us as a community affect the community around us. Lord, I pray for every single person in this place who has hidden and dimmed their light. Lord, tonight would they be released from that fear and insecurity or to fully shine how you've designed for them to do it. In Jesus' name, amen.